Thanks for listening. The following is an audio presentation from High Country Christian Church. For more information, please visit www.highcountrychristian.com. I don't know if you've noticed, but it feels like 2020, we've been in storm after storm after storm after storm. Would you agree with me on that today? And you know, we're going to read in Matthew chapter 7. I'll just give you a preview right here. Jesus says that storms do one thing in our life. They reveal the foundation of our lives. Amen? And they reveal what kind of house you have built on a foundation. So when you go through storms, the number one thing that it does is it begins to show you what is really going on in your life on the inside of you. Amen? Let's go to read Matthew chapter 7. Um, this is at the end of, this is the longest sermon we have that Jesus preaches in the Bible. He preaches Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And, at the, and where we're going to read is the very end of his Sermon on the Mount. And let's begin reading in verse 24. Verse 24 says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds his house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it will not collapse because it is built on bedrock, the New Living says. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds his house on the sand. When the rains come and the floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. So I met Pastor Josh in Florida, where we were growing up as kids. And one day, my sophomore year of high school, I was in science class. And my science teacher said, our assignment today is you're going to go outside and you're going to dig a hole until you hit water. And I remember my sophomore brain, I was like, that's impossible. You can't go into your yard and dig a hole and hit water. Well, we went outside, and wouldn't you know, it took three of us guys less than 30 minutes to dig a hole, and water started coming up. Well, that's because we're in Florida, and the average elevation is 16 feet above sea level, the average elevation. And my high school was built on a hill, and it took us less than 30 minutes, which in hindsight, it makes, me, it makes my teacher sound like a parent. You kids go outside, and you dig a hole in the ground, and don't come back in here until you hit water. Well, a few years after this, we had a hurricane come through, Hurricane Gabrielle. And you may not remember Hurricane Gabrielle because she made landfall on September the 12th, 2001. And the nation was a little busy at that time. But Hurricane Gabrielle dropped 17 inches of rain on our town in one day. 70 mile an hour winds, it knocked out power to a million homes in Florida. And our town flooded. And I had always been told that my high school gym was built on the highest point in the county and it would not flood. But you know, it's one thing to say your house won't get flooded. It's another thing when the county declares an emergency situation and sends people to live in the gym at your high school. And it worked. People were fine and they rode out the storm. And because this is Florida and all the streets flooded, there was all these news crews showing people paddling down the streets and riding jet skis down the streets in front of my high school. But everyone in the gym, which was at the highest point in the county, was safe and rode out the storm, even though we were at such a low water table. It's one thing to say your life is built 
to withstand storms. It's another thing to put people in a gym during a storm and proving what, you, what is real, amen? And Jesus here is saying, if your house is founded on the rock, it will go through the storm. And that by the house, we mean your life. I want to look at that phrase in verse 24, for it was founded on the rock. The house was founded on the rock. That Greek word, it was founded, is one word in the Greek. And it is the Greek word thamiliaho, thamiliaho. And it means to establish a foundation, to make it stable, and to make it ready to build on. Now I'm going to get all Greek geek on you for just one second. Is that okay? I want to talk about the tense of the word that is used here. Now, in English, we have various tenses. We have present tense, past tense, future tense. There's probably some more tenses. I don't know about it because I'm not an English major. Well, in the Greek, there are like seven or eight tenses. And my favorite Greek tense is the pluperfect tense. And the reason I like the pluperfect tense is it's pretty rare in the Greek. And the pluperfect tense indicates an event having been done once and for all in past time forever. I like to call this the once upon a time tense. Once upon a time, Jesus died on the cross. In that one moment, it did something in history that will last for all time. That is the pluperfect tense. And that is the tense that Jesus uses here to talk about our house being built on a solid foundation. It is a once and for all thing that happened. When we, became, when we became Christians, when we got saved, when we became born again, when we accepted Christ into our hearts, there was a foundation poured into you that cannot be shaken. It is strong, stable, level, perfect, and ready to be built on. And this Greek word, thamiliaho, is used a few other times in Scripture, and I'm going to read two of them to you to get a better idea of this word for foundation. The first one is in Ephesians 3.17. You don't have to turn there. It says that Christ would dwell, live, in your hearts through faith that you would be rooted and grounded in love. And that word rooted and grounded is that same word for foundation. Something was poured into your heart by faith when you accepted Christ. There was a foundation built inside of you that Paul later calls the chief cornerstone, the sure rock of your salvation. Peter uses this word in 1 Peter 5.10. He says, may the God of all grace, who has called you to eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. And that word settle there is that same word. Speaking of foundation. Amen? So the first thing I want you to see this morning is regardless of what you think, there is a foundation within you that was not built with human hands. But when you accepted Christ, it was built built in you the rock of your salvation, Jesus Christ, and it cannot be shaken. So now we've got this great foundation in us. We're going through our Christian life. The house of our life is being built, and what happens? Storms. How dare they interrupt us? We got a good thing going here. 
In Luke's account of this same scripture where Jesus talks about building on the rock in Luke 6, verse 48 says, and when the floods arose, the storm beat violently against the house, and it could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. Jesus does not say, if storms come. He says, when, because storms are inevitable. If you've heard the lie like I did growing up that once you get saved, everything is hunky-dory, and it's all good, and it's all fine. I don't think they read certain parts of the New Testament where Jesus said storms are inevitable. And sometimes it feels like we're in the middle of storm after storm after storm, and you wake up in the morning, and you think, what is going to beat on me today? But here's the really interesting thing, like I alluded to in the open. Jesus said in the story, storms reveal things. They reveal how strong the foundation is. They reveal how well the house is built and what it is built of. That hurricane that hit Florida the next day, I woke up, I discovered what trees in my yard were deeply rooted and which ones were not healthy because they were in, on my lawn and against the telephone wires and against the electrical and I had to call my neighbors and like, help, these trees were not rooted against the storm. We got to clean them up. It's one thing to say the school gym is built securely on high ground. It's another to put people in it to ride out a hurricane because the storm proves what is real and true and what is not. You find out a lot about yourself in a storm, what is really in there, what is really important to you. In this political season, I'm finding out a lot about the people I'm on the internet with. In this pandemic season, I'm finding a lot out about the people I work with and see regularly. Why? Because we're in a consistent storm season. People's foundations, what they've built their lives on, are being exposed by the storms. Where their treasure is, what they have inside of them in abundance is starting to come out. What is real to them, what is eternal, is coming out of them. And time will tell us, will it stand or will it fall? Can I give you my next scripture this morning? Let's go to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul will say a lot of these same things that we've read in Matthew. When our house is being exposed to the storm, we have to learn to run to the master because he is the wise master builder. He is our chief cornerstone. He is our prince of peace. Amen? He is the one who sleeps in the storm. He is our sure foundation. He is the one we want to design and build our house. He is the master craftsman. He is strong and well able, and he wants us to be more than conquerors because we were born to overcome and ride out each and every storm. Amen? Because people need what we have. Amen? We are called to be a shelter in the storm, like that gym was during the hurricane. We are called to be a city set on a hill. We are called to be a light in darkness, to illuminate others. And it's hard sometimes to be a light in the storm. But I believe we can be like my neighbors in the hurricane, safe on high ground, riding their jet skis down the street. It's okay. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, let's look, begin reading in verse 9. 
This is Paul here. Let me find verse 9. Here it is. For we are God's workers, and you are God's field. You are God's building. So Paul takes it a step further. Verse 10, because of God's grace given to me, I have laid the foundation like an expert builder. This is a picture of your salvation. Someone preached Christ to you at some point, you accepted it, and he was building the foundation like an expert builder. But whoever is building on this foundation must be very careful, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one we already have, Jesus Christ. Verse 12, Anyone who builds on this foundation may use a variety of materials, gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. But on the judgment day, the fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, the builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. Let's read verse 16. Don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and the Spirit of God lives in you? The New King James says, know ye not. If you were like me and you were raised with the King James, this is what comes out. Know ye not that you are the temple of the living God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Amen? So I think you've all got it. We've laid our foundation We're looking at our house. We've established that storms reveal what's going on. Now I want to change course. And I want to talk about some practical things we can do to build our lives on this sure foundation. Is that okay? Let's talk about some godly building materials. I believe this next part will help you get through any storm season you may encounter. When I was praying about this message, I was like, we can go a lot of different directions here, Lord. We've done the foundational part. And he said, let's go this way. And I said, okay, you're the boss. Not where I would have gone, but sure, absolutely. I want to talk to you this morning about stirring up the gift inside of you. Stirring up the gift inside of you. Several years ago, we'll go to 2 Timothy if you guys want to start going that direction. Several years ago, I was in Kentucky. And I went with a few friends of mine and we went on a rock climbing trip. And we went to a place called the Red River Gorge in Slade, Kentucky, where there is nothing. It's about an hour outside of Lexington. And we stayed at a place at a campground. And rock climbers come from all over the world to climb at the Red River Gorge in Slade, Kentucky. I kid you not when I say there were thousands of climbers that I encountered that weekend. I ran into people from Spain and France and Germany knew nothing about America, but they come to this place in Kentucky to climb the beautiful red walls. And one morning I get up and I go over to breakfast and I get my coffee and my eggs and bacon. And I don't, I don't know about you, I don't drink black coffee. I, I, need, I need milk and I need honey. So I go to the little station where there's milk and honey and I put in my milk and I put in my honey and I'm looking for a coffee stirrer and there's no coffee stirrers. And now I'm looking for a spoon, there's no spoons. And then I see one spoon in the corner and there is a sign taped on this spoon and it says, this is the community coffee stirring spoon. Do not ask for another spoon, one will not be given to you. And I'm looking at this thing in total horror. I'm like, there's no way I'm using that. Because, you know, as rock climbers, we're known as really clean people. You know, when we camp and live out of our cars and climb rocks all day and not want to shower because you don't want moisture on your hands. 
And I'm thinking of all the thousands of climbers that have used this spoon and hoping that they all are observing personal hygiene and use this spoon correctly. So I'm like praying, Lord, what do you think about me using the spoon? Um, I used the spoon. I survived. Nothing bad happened. But I did. I admit, I stirred the coffee with the community stirring spoon, and I was scared. But I did it, and it was okay. Let's go to 2 Timothy, and I'll tie these thoughts together. Don't worry, I'm going, I'm going somewhere with this. You just, you just remember the community stirring spoon, and everything will be okay. 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy is one of my favorite books. This is the last book that Paul wrote before he was executed. And he wrote it to Pastor Timothy, who at that time was pastoring the largest church in the world. And this is like... And Timothy has issues, as you can imagine, pastoring a church of several hundred thousand people, history tells us. And so I love 2 Timothy because it's like, Paul's like, here's my best advice for you as a pastor going through storm season. And in chapter 1, I want to begin reading in verse 5. Verse 5 says, I remember your genuine faith, for you share the faith that, was first, that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I know that this same faith continues strong in you. This is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Amen? Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you. You know, it's interesting when I talk about this verse with people, they immediately tell me why they don't qualify for this verse. Because they say, well, that was written to a pastor, Timothy, who was operating in a five-fold ministry gift. And the apostle Paul immediately prayed for him and established this gift. That's what he's talking about. And I always want to be like, yeah, the, the enemy loves to tell you you don't qualify for a scripture. Let me ask you this. Are there any gifts that God has put in you? Yes. I mean, I, I can think of two, and I'm sure you can think of more. In Romans chapter 5, ta Paul talks about the free gift of salvation to those who have received Christ Jesus. So you have received the gift of salvation. So would it stand to reason that the gift of salvation is in you? And since it is a gift from God, can it be stirred up like Paul says here to Timothy? In Romans chapter 11, and Paul says, the gifts and callings of God are without repentance or are irrevocable. All of us have been given natural and spiritual gifts and talents that we are responsible to shepherd or steward in our lives. And God actually has strong opinions about what you do with the gifts that he has given you. If you don't believe me, you can go read Jesus' parable about the man with the talents. And he gave 10 talents to the one guy and five talents to the one guy and one talent to the one guy. Remember, and then he got mad. Jesus, the, the lamb, the peaceful lamb of God, got mad at the man who didn't use what he had given him. Yeah? So you have gifts that God has given to you inside of you. And Paul says to Timothy here, these gifts can be stirred up. And he says, according to your faith that you have, these gifts are inside of you, and they need to be stirred, 
which tells me they can also be unstirred or dormant. Yeah? few things here. Let's go back to verse 6. Therefore, I remind you. Look at that word, remind. The, the tense in the Greek here speaks of intentionality. This is not a flippant, like, hey, remember to do this. This is like, put it on your calendar. Set a reminder. This is like when Gracie texts me and says, go to the grocery store. That's not like a hint. That's like, I need you to go to the grocery store, and I will not let you in our house until you go to the grocery store and bring groceries into our house. And you better get all of these things, or you're going to go back to the store. That, that's a reminder. And that's what Paul is saying here. I remind you to what? Stir up the gift of God that was in you. This is not a casual, once-in-a-lifetime stirring. This should be a, something that you put intentionally in your life and say, I am stirring the gift that God is, has given to me. And where is it? It's in you. And who gave it to you? God did. Yeah? That Greek word for stir is the Greek word anazopuriaho. Well, that's a tough one. Anazopuriaho. It's from several Greek words, and when you boil them all down, it means to rekindle a fire. Has anyone in here ever rekindled a fire? You are aware of what I mean when I say that. There's like embers, and you got to take the pokey thing, and you got to stir it up. Or you take the bellows, and you breathe oxygen into it, right? You got to get it going. How I many? It didn't. It takes some effort and work, doesn't it? You can't just look at the fire and say, "Rekindle." come alive, come up. No, you got to actually physically do something, correct? It's going to take some work and effort and motion on your part to actually stir it up, yeah? When I was a kid, we lived overseas as missionaries for several years, and it got really cold in the winter. You think winter is bad here in the high country? You have no idea. It started, I had a friend whose birthday was in October, like October the 10th or 11th. It had snowed every year on her birthday, except for like two in her entire life. That's when winter started. And it thawed out in like June. I don't know, but it was, it was bad. Anyway, I digress. Now I'm thinking about winter. Our house was heated by a boiler system. And the boiler, we had to put make a fire in it, and then the boiler pushed out hot water into these radiators all around the house, and that's how we got heat. And it was one of my chores as a kid to go down every morning, and I'd go down to my bare feet, pad down to the basement, and go to the boiler and open it up. And if I had made the fire correctly the day before, there would still be some embers going. And then I had to take the pokey thing, and you had to poke it and get it all stirred up. And then I had to put little pieces of, you couldn't just throw logs on there right away. You had to put little kindling. And if I, if I hadn't done my job and it was starting to go out, I had to put paper or, you know, little pieces of cardboard or little tiny shaved pieces of wood. And you'd throw those in there and it'd get in there. And then you put a little kindling on there. And then you put a little bit of bigger piece of wood. And then you'd pull a really big piece of wood. And then when it was all going, then we would put, um, we had these things, they were called briquettes, which is kind of like coal. It was compressed peat moss. And when it was all going good, you'd throw that on there, and that would heat the whole house all day. And it was work, and it was effort, and I had to check it a few times a day to make sure it was going. Otherwise, the house was going to get really cold, and then I was going to get in trouble. And that's what happens. Yeah? To stir up the gift, we have this idea that it's just gonna, we're just going to stir it up, and it's, 
You may, depending on where your fire's at, you may have to start with some shavings of wood or a little paper or some little pieces of cardboard. And then you can go to big logs. And then you can go to briquettes. Now, how do we do that? The good news is there's all kinds of ways to stir up the gifts inside of you. There's no wrong way. There's no set formula. The, the point is you go into the presence of God. You connect with your heavenly Father. And the good news is Jesus says the kingdom of God is near you. Amen? James says when we draw near to God, he draws near to us. We're kind of, sometimes we tend to wait for God to move. He's waiting for us to move. The fire isn't going to stir itself. We have to stir the fire or stir the gift in our heart. And let me say this to you, because the enemy loves to tell you this isn't true. Any time spent with God is never time wasted. Yeah? The other thing the enemy loves to do is he loves to tell you, you don't have time to spend with the Lord. Or he loves to tell you it's not that important. Or then he goes to the flip side. When you do spend some time in the word or in prayer, he tells you, oh, that wasn't enough. You need to spend more time with God. What kind of Christian are you? If you really loved God, you would spend more time with him. You would make it more of a priority. I don't think God's like that. I think he will take whatever time we give him. Amen? The, only, the enemy only has two main strategies. He lies to you, and he tries to distract you from what God is saying. So don't believe it. Whatever time you have to spend with God, do that. You know, I'm not a personal example. I'm not the best in the morning at just opening my Bible and reading. I'm half asleep. I'm like, uh, this makes no sense to me at all. So I have a devotional that I read. I can easily comprehend it. It gets my spirit stirred in the morning, and it kind of wakes me up. And then sometimes I'll read the Bible. So then sometimes I'll pray. Then sometimes I'll worship. Sometimes Gracie and I will pray together. Who knows? Sometimes I'll listen to a message in the car. Sometimes I'll listen to worship music. Sometimes I'll connect with a friend and we'll talk about spiritual things. Sometimes I'll go to church and gather with a whole bunch of people and we'll take out that community stirring spoon and we will stir it up together. Yeah? And sometimes that happens in the morning and sometimes it happens in the afternoon and sometimes it happens in the evening and there's no guilt or condemnation. The point is that it happens. I connect with my heavenly father. I stir the gifts that he has put in me and I build my house on the foundation that he has already laid so that when storms come, I am well able to withstand. And you know what? Sometimes the storms are going to rip the shingles off your roof and expose some things. And that's when you go back to God and say, this didn't work so well. What can I do to shore this up in my life? Lead me, Holy Spirit. Tell me how to make my house, my life stronger so I can withstand the next storm that comes. And I can be a shelter in the storm for those whose houses aren't as well built. Amen? That is ultimately what he is calling us to do, to be a shelter for others in the storm. Amen? Let me see what else we got. We did all that. Oh, yes. Okay. Back to 2 Timothy chapter 1. Oh, I should have written this scripture down in multiple places. I knew it. I knew it. Now I got to find it again. Okay. 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 Can you all handle a little bit more? Okay, good. 
I remind you to stir up the gift of God. Aha, verse 7. Notice these are connected. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Does everyone notice that first part? For God has not given us a spirit of fear. That means whenever you encounter fear, the first thing you know about it is it's not God, right? So one of the ways you can check to see if your spirit is strong and stirred up is to check your fear meter. Are you operating in fear in any part of your life or are you operating in faith? Because if you're operating in fear, that's not God. What is God? If you're stirred up, power, love, and a sound mind. So any area where you're facing conflict or difficulty or storm, ask yourself, am I looking at this in fear or am I moving against it in power, love, and with a sound mind? Or you could say at a, in a peaceful state. Yeah? Power. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Love. The love of God is shed abroad in my heart by faith. A sound mind. I have the mind of Christ, and I know all things. So all those things are inside of you already, but when you face fear, you have a choice, whether to go to God or to just give in to fear. And as human beings, it's so easy to give in to fear. And so many voices in our life speak fear to us all day long. But fear is not of God. When we are intentional to do what the Word of God says, to stir the gifts on our hearts, on our secure foundation that is Christ Jesus, it pushes back against fear in our lives. Fear is not of God. And when we connect with Him, and connect with his presence. We connect to his power, we connect to his love, and we connect to his peace of mind. Amen? Amen. If you remember nothing else this morning, remember that Sean once used the community stir spoon to stir his coffee in the mountains of Kentucky. And when you come to church, see that as a giant stirring spoon, and we all get to stir each other up. We all get to encourage each other in the Lord. Amen. You know, that word encouragement there in the Greek is very similar to the Greek word for the Holy Spirit. And I like to say that when you encourage someone, it's almost like you are taking the place temporarily of God to speak into that person's life. It's very similar. And very often people, because of fear, can't hear the voice of God clearly. But God will use you to speak into their lives what he can't always get through to them. And that word for encouragement, which is very similar to the word for the Holy Spirit, means to uh, walk up to someone, put your arm around them, and speak to them intentionally. That's what it means to encourage or to stir someone. When you are stirred yourself, you can stir others. When things are dormant in you, it's very difficult for you to encourage someone else. That's why I remember in the Old Testament, David said he encouraged himself in the Lord. Same thing we're talking about here with Timothy. We have to learn as mature believers to stir or encourage ourselves so that we can be a light to others. Amen? Last thing I'll say, fear tends to attack our senses. And as people of God, you know, we're a three-part being. We are a spirit. That is the part of us that God created himself. 
And then he injected that spirit into a physical body. And then in between those two things is our soul, which is our mind, our will, and emotions. And we're so used to this body because we're in it all day long. We're so used to how it, you know, it yells. It tells you it's hungry. It tells you it's tired. It tells you all these things. And we're just like, okay, okay, okay. And we tend to prioritize our body and then our soul and then our spirit down here. But in actuality, you need to flip that in your life. The spirit man is the most important part of you. It is the part where you commune with God. It is the part that he created, and that's the part that will live forever. In between those two parts is our soul, our mind. That's, where you have, that's why Paul says you have to renew your mind. You have to win the battle of your mind. You have to control your soul. And then lastly should be the body. That's why Paul says we put our flesh under because God wants to speak to your spirit. He doesn't speak to your body and he won't speak to your mind. He speaks to your spirit. And people, as people, we get funny about that, but Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. That means your spirit knows how to hear Jesus and it knows how to receive his words. So sometimes if your flesh or your body is screaming loudly, that's the time when you need to get quiet and connect with God. Because what you're telling your body is, you're not as important to me as my spirit. You're not as important to me as God is. And when your spirit is strong, it'll be interesting because it will start to affect your soul and it will begin to affect your body. Amen? Well, that's about all I have this morning. I have a sense like I should lead us in a confession. Is that okay? I've been listening to this message um, about uh, taking what is yours, taking what God has given you, because the enemy will tell you it's not, it's not yours, and God's like, no, it is, it is yours. And one of the things they talk about is um, possessing, possession by confession, meaning you, you articulate out loud what God has given to you, and it reminds your body and it reminds your soul that God has given you certain things. And so as a, as a testament to our faith and belief, can we make some confessions this morning? I'll go first and you all follow me. Is that okay? Well, let me find my scripture again. That's a good one. That's a good one. All right. Let's confess together. God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. There is no other foundation than that which has been laid, which is Christ Jesus. Jesus in me is my sure foundation. And it is stable, it is perfect, and it is ready to be built on. I am building my life with gold and silver and precious stones, materials that cannot be burned. I am an overcomer. God's love 
is shed abroad in my heart by faith. Amen. Amen. We hope that this message inspired you and filled your heart with faith. If you would like to visit our church, check out www.highcountrychristian.com for service times and location information. Thanks again for listening to this audio presentation from High Country Christian Church, where Jesus loves you, we love you, and your life counts.